Thanks for listening to the Providence Community Church Podcast. We hope you've been inspired today to love Jesus more deeply. For more information and other ways to connect with us, you can visit us on the web at providencecommunity.org. Amen. So the previous time I was here, I was sharing a lot of funny stories about my membership at the, at the Y, and um, I don't know if you could remember the muffin tops and the, um, the jammers and all those stories. Um, what I can tell you, there's no improvement has been made on the muffin tops at this stage. <laughs> but this morning I've got a whole lot of illustrations, I've got a few stories I want to share with you, and I'm going to jump around between them every now and then, and I'm going to be moving at quite a fast pace, so I want to encourage you to fasten your seatbelt, not because I'm trying to shock you in any way, but um, I'm trusting that it's going to be a fun journey this morning. Um, so please... Yeah, just have a fun time. That's what I want to encourage you. I want to start off by sharing this first story. This is the first link. Somehow the, the why always comes into my preaching, but um, we're in the market at the moment to buy a house, and we've been looking around. We've gone to a few places, and to be quite honest, we've been very unimpressed with, with what we've seen. So it ended up with Stasha and I going home at night and then we'll spend time online looking for places, trying to find the right place. So this one evening, there's this specific house that catches our attention. Now a lot of you over here would be familiar with this house because it's one of the oldest homes in Hanover. It's the Fisher Krause house and it's around 250 years old and guess where it is located? Right next to the Hanover, um, North Hanover Y. I told you it will come into the story. So we actually arranged to go and see this house. Ahead of time, we see the photos, so we kind of have the right expectation, but we, get, we arrive at this house and it's beautiful. I love old homes. And as we step into the Fisher Krause house, it's stripped on the inside. The, the paint is peeling. In certain places, the the plaster is crumbling off the walls, or plaster, as you would say. Um, the ceilings are drooping and it's sagging, and the place is in a mess and it is stripped. And the strange thing is that everything that is supposed to put us off from buying this house and investing in this house is doing exactly the same opposite. As I'm standing there, I start dreaming and having visions about how amazing this place can be. To the extent that I can see the end result, I'm that type of person where I walk into a place and I can see what's going to happen in the future in this space. And we go home, and Stasha and I, we're both, we, we set it in our hearts that we will buy this place. And that's where the story ends for now. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to jump to a next story. So about two weeks ago, we had the wonderful privilege and honor of attending the Heaven Come conference in Los Angeles with the other pastor couples. Now, when Stasha and I confirmed that we will go along on this trip, we had planned that a friend from South Africa would be visiting and that this friend, she would have watched Noah while we were away on this trip. Plans suddenly changed when this friend's visa was denied. We know what that feels like. And we realized that the only option we have is to take Noah along. But the thing is, about four weeks before this trip, Noah was going through some phase where he was waking up between four and six times an evening, and he wasn't sleeping well, he was super fussy, so already there's a bit of anxiety, 
There's a lack of sleep. And we're realizing we're going to have to travel with this boy, this wonderful blessing, <laughs> on two five-hour flights. There's a time change, change. There's a schedule change because we're attending a conference. And to make things a bit more difficult, two days before we got on the flight, he decided it's a good time to start crawling. <laughs> so we went into this a bit nervous and definitely tired but the amazing thing is that the other pastors couples were so encouraging so understanding and they were just so supportive but coming back from the trip i, I reflect on it and i realize that there were certain moments where there were character flaws in my own life what were these character flaws I'm, to, I'm, I'm referring to? Well, to explain them, I want to take a moment to, to look at Peter's life in the Bible. And when I read Peter's story, there's always two things. There's always more things that will probably we can learn from his life. But two things that speak to me are two crucial things that happened in the whole process of when he denied Christ. So when, when the Roman soldiers came to Peter and they say, they ask him, do you know this man? He answers no in order to protect himself. And in this crucial moment, what is happening? Peter is shifting the focus onto himself. But then we know later on when, when Christ is resurrected, he meets up with Peter again and there's this opportunity where Jesus wants to redeem Peter. And he says, Peter, if you love me, tend my sheep. And when you read this portion of scripture, it's interesting because you kind of pick up from what you read that Peter is saying, no, I cannot do this. It's as if he feels guilty as if he's not good enough to step into that which, is, which Christ is calling him into. The thing is, these two pivotal things usually create the moment in which a character flaw is revealed. And what are those two things that create the moment? The moment we choose to deny Christ, to rather focus on ourselves, and the next moment is, the next crucial thing is when we deny God's destiny, usually because we're struggling and battling condemnation, which is caused when we choose to focus on ourselves. Now getting back to LA and reflecting on the whole trip, I could clearly identify the moment where I chose to focus on how I felt and my weariness, because I definitely, I, I felt weary but the second thing is, it was, it was strange to me that in a moment when my leaders, and I'm talking about Philip and, and Nathan and Mike and their wives, it's amazing how they were encouraging and so understanding and so supportive. And they would say, Marcel, because they would see Noah's a bit difficult, and they, then they, Mike, for instance, would say, Marcel, you know what, you're a great dad. You're doing so well. And the crazy thing is, Mike, I haven't even shared this with you, but in those moments, I just could not accept that because I thought they were saying these things to make me feel better because I was kind of acting a bit like an idiot. <laughs> but what were they doing? They were calling me out into godly destiny, and I was just pushing it aside, denying it. Now, this morning, as we dive into this topic, I want to make it very clear I'm not speaking about moral failure. Moral failure is a, bit, is a different topic, and I don't have the time to lean into that this morning, but 
I want to speak about these moments when our character shows the not-so-good part. But before we go deeper, we need to understand that, and we have to explain the difference between character and personality, because a lot of people don't know the difference between these two. Now, character comes from the Greek word charakter. And charakter, that Greek word means, it, it implies that you have a tool with which you etch or engrave. That, that which you are is etched and engraved into you. So imagine you have got an engraving tool that is used on a very hard surface. The only way you can cancel out that which is engraved is by sanding it down and redoing it. So character is something that is very permanent and it's very difficult to change it. But per personality is a different story. Personality comes from the Latin word persona. And persona actually means, it, it refers to the mask through which an actor speaks. So your personality is the mask you're putting on in a specific situation to try and deal with the environment and usually to make the people in that situation accept you more. So personality is something that adapts to the environment. To help you to illustrate this, the way your personality adapts, I want to, here's another story. So we went through our first American winter. You must know we come from South Africa. It's always sunny on the inside in South Africa. You know, our winters are mild. We're not used to snow. We don't have that. So it was our first winter. And then as we were in the heart of the winter and we experienced 30s and 40s, I could recall Stasha and I, whenever the temperatures rose to around 50s, it felt like I could go outside in shorts wearing flip-flops without a shirt. <laughs> Have you experienced that? 50s felt great. I was like, I'm going for a walk. But I didn't do it because I still had muffin tops. <laughs> but it's strange. Now we're in the summer, and now we're starting to hit the 70s, and we're possibly going to hit the high 80s. The moment the temperature drops to 50s, it feels chilly, I've got my jacket on, and I want to stay inside and watch Netflix. <laughs> it's the same temperature range, but the, my experience thereof is different depending on the environment. I adapt accordingly. That's how personality actually works. Now, moving on, I grew up in a church where I often heard this statement, and maybe you heard something that was similar or that was just worded a bit differently. But the thing that I always heard is, not heard, heard, is that if your character isn't greater than your anointing, your anointing will crush you. Have you ever, did you ever hear, did they only say this in South Africa? But I, I grew up. Hearing this, if your, if your character isn't greater than your, than your anointing, then your anointing will crush you or you won't, you won't be able to sustain your anointing. So this kind of sounds very right and it sounds very spiritual to me and I actually accepted this. I made it part of my theology for many years. But then recently, I started revisiting this and to, to be honest with you, this thought started troubling me tremendously. And the problem that I found with this statement is that it implies something that I cannot agree with. And now I have the insight to better understand it. Because in this statement, when your character isn't greater than your anointing, your anointing will crush you or overcome you, 
There are two elements, character and anointing. They both depend on two different parties. Character is dependent on me. That's what I bring to the table. Anointing comes from God. If I believe this statement, it implies that that which I bring to the table is, uh, is more important and is of greater power than that which God gives by His grace freely. I have a problem with that. The next thing that it implies that I cannot agree with is that anointing can harm you. I doubt that God gives something to you to harm you. Now, there, this is a deep thought. There's a lot that can be discussed around this, and I, I would do that, but we don't have the time for this. But I'm trusting that I'm going to create perspective and not just drop things that kind of are like landmines. The truth is, it's never been about what we are able to do. And I want to bring that into perspective because Romans 5 verse 8 says the following, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not demonstrate his love and everything it includes. I believe anointing and giftings and all those things are part of God's love that he bestows on us. He does not demonstrate his love um, to us based on what we do right. He bestows it and he demonstrates his love. To, uh, sorry, he bestows these things on us just plain and simple to demonstrate his love, not his approval. I'm biting my lip because I know what I'm saying. He doesn't bestow these things to demonstrate his love. Uh, sorry, he, he bestows these things to demonstrate his love, not his approval. I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to go to Jesus. Now, I know Jesus was without sin, and we are not the same case. But everything we see Jesus doing and accomplishing, Jesus invited us into. And he's saying, you also able to do this. So that's why I believe this is a good example. Go to Matthew 3. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to reference this. Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17. This is the part where Jesus is baptized. We see he's baptized, and as he emerges out of the water, there's the heavens open, and the, the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. What does God do immediately thereafter in verse 17? He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I'm going to get back to the statement I made. If it was about God's approval, I believe those two um, verses would have been switched around. God would have then first said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and then opened the heavens. But that's not what God did. He opened the heavens because he demonstrates his love regardless of what we do, right or wrong. And in this case, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And then afterwards, he comes and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not, what about, it's not about what you do, right or wrong. God wants to demonstrate his love to you. So you can ask at this point, so Marcel, isn't my behavior, isn't those type of things important? They are important, but we're getting to it. I promise you I'll bring it into perspective. Let's keep moving. You see, if the demonstration of God's love and everything it encompasses, which I believe is things like anointing and giftings, was based on our clean track record, 
When I open up this Bible and I read through these stories, there are many men in there that I saw God chose to use that I then believe shouldn't have been used if it was about clean track record and about their good behavior because go to all these great men of God and with each one of them at some point you will be able to identify a character flaw. Yet despite that, we see how God greatly moved in and through their lives. The truth is that where our character fails, Jesus prevails. I want to say that again. Where our character fails, Jesus prevails. Now you can say, great, Marcel, you know, this is good that you're saying this, but how do we make this happen when we're in the thick of it, when we're in the trial? Now I want to tell you the key is in changing our perspective. And I include myself because I just recently identified character flaws in my own life. You see, one person, you and I can go through one single experience, but there can be different outcomes. And the thing that determines the outcome is the perspective that we have going through that thing. Our perspective will determine the outcome. And to help you understand the power of perspective, I want to explain something to you about my mother tongue. So for those that don't know, I speak Afrikaans. It's not African. Just so that you know, people coming from Africa are Africans. <laughs> I speak Afrikaans. So, you've probably heard Stasha and myself saying a few strange things. Who's heard Stasha and Marcel say strange things? Come on, you can raise your hand. I see them. <laughs> and you're probably wondering, well, what's going on with these guys? Did they have too much African sun on their brains? The thing is, you probably wouldn't know this, but we think and process in Afrikaans and speak in English. If you've got a different mother tongue from, from or mother language from English, you, everything in your mind happens in that language and then you translate as you go. And Afrikaans is just totally t different. One of the easiest ways to explain one of these differences, and I'm talking about perspectives, remember, is that Afrikaans has got a negative default setting. Let me explain it to you this way. If you said to me, do not enter that room, if I have to translate it directly from Afrikaans, we take the adverb not and you repeat it. So if I had to uh, translate directly from Afrikaans, I would say, do not enter that room not. Doesn't make sense, but we do that in Afrikaans. Another example I can give you. Let's, for instance, say that Keith comes up to me and he says, hey, Mossar, quickly help me to move the speaker. I'll prob probably answer him, no, I will help you. Did you hear that? No, I will help you. That comes from my Afrikaans language. I don't know why we do that, but it's part of our language. So you're probably thinking, so you said no, and then you said, I will help you, what's gonna happen? <laughs> this is a great one. This is one that Philip actually pointed out recently, another one that's all about our, our language and my home language. If we were together and you would say, the young guys would say, hey, let's go to the movies, I will probably say, mustn't we go to the movies? Do you see how Afrikaans takes everything and there's this negative default setting? So, we all, have a default setting when it comes to dealing with trials. There's a default setting. And the most common default setting is the one that usually sets us up so that character flaws are revealed. 
Because usually our default setting is that we deny Christ and choose to focus on ourselves and we deny God's destiny in that moment because we're so caught up dealing with condemnation that is usually a result of us focusing on ourselves. And we do this because we still believe that when things get tough, it's about our own ability. And that's part of the perspective problem we're sitting with. But what if there's a different perspective, a different default setting? And the good news is there is a different um, perspective. And it starts with acknowledging that trials are not about your ability. They're not about your abilities. And I'll provide, I'll provide context for what I'm saying. You see, trials are made for character change, not character failure. Where our character fails, Jesus prevails. Trials are for character change, not for, not for character failure. And as long as you, we are going to try and get through it by ourselves, just like Peter, we'll definitely end up denying Christ in the moment, pushing him away. We will deny God's destiny. And the thing is, our character will fail. I, I want to invite you to read three verses with me. I'm going to be reading James 1, verse 2 to 4, 1 Peter 1, verse 7, and 1 Peter 4, verse 12, and it will be up there as well. Um, and all three of these scriptures, they link to these trials that I'm referring to. So I'm going to start reading James 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1 verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 4 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is, in, which is to try you as though some strength, strange thing is happening to you. When you read these scriptures, I know they all have different contexts and each one of the trials that they're referring to actually have different, a bit different interpretations across these two books and the different chapters, but there is a general thing that is coming forth from this. The focus of the tri our trials is not our failures. It is what God wants to achieve through us, even if we fail. I want to say that again. The focus of a trial is not our failures. It is what God wants to achieve through us, even if we fail. And the problem is we keep on making tough moments in life about our failures. We're actually, what we should be realizing is that God's, is, is, the, the thing that we should be realizing is God's purposes. The thing that should be happening is we should be growing in our maturity. What should be happening is that we need to be better empowered to reflect Jesus to the world. These moments are the times that we should be placing ourselves in God's hands and allowing Him to shape and to mold us that we become more like His Son, Jesus. But this can only happen if we choose to be sincere with God. And this sincerity that I'm talking about is being free of all prejudice. Could you remember I spoke about that mass called personality? 
It's removing those masks and coming before God, being free of pretense and proceeding, moving forward with genuine feelings. It is moving into a situation and instead of saying, I don't know this Jesus in order to save yourself like Peter did, you embrace Jesus to save you from yourself. Instead of denying God's destiny because you feel so bad about who you are and you don't feel worthy, just like Peter did when Jesus called him to shepherd the flock, you embrace God's destiny because you know it will take you beyond yourself. I want, you to better under, I want all of us to better understand the sincerity. Sincerity comes from the Latin word which is sincarus. And sincarus means without wax. And in the time of Roman merchants, when they were buying and selling jars, a lot of times a jar, they would try and conceal the imperfections and the cracks in a jar by, by filling it up with wax and polishing it with wax. So what these merchants did is they took the jar and they placed a light inside of it or they held it to a light. And what would happen automatically is that that light will shine through the imperfections. But that light will also release heat. And that heat, is the, that fiery trial would be the very thing that makes the um, wax melt away. Sincerity requires that we invite Jesus, the light of the world, in, not pushing him out. So what we need to realize is that trials are meant to reveal imperfections. And remember, just because an imperfection is revealed, it doesn't mean you have already failed. We get that wrong. When we see, hey, here's something I've, I need to work on, we sometimes just think I've already failed. But that's just God bringing it to the surface. It's God mounting the wax away so that He can work with it, so that He can change it. You haven't already failed in it. So when the fiery trials that we read of in James and 1 Peter comes, what we need to be doing is we need to allow God to hold us to the light so that it can shine through us. We need to allow God to hold us close to the fire so that the wax the masks that we are putting on, all that personality adaptions we are making to try and fit in, to hide away the true character problems, that needs to um, melt away like wax. Character change does not happen apart from embracing Jesus and God. Starting off, you might have, might have thought that I'm saying that having things we have to work on is fine and that it's acceptable. No, it's not acceptable. God's not going to punish you for it, but God definitely wants to change it. And the only way it can change is when you embrace Jesus and when you embrace God. John 15 says the following. He, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me. That is what this process is all about. It is us positioning ourselves into Jesus, into God, so that they can do the work that we are unable to do ourselves. 
And this whole time, what I've been sharing is we have to stop denying Christ. We have to stop denying God's destiny. So what should we be doing? We should be embracing Jesus. We should be embracing God's destiny. But we can only achieve that if we get sincere and real with God. Allow the wax to be melted away. And how do we do that? I had a friend, and I still have a friend, that said one of the most valuable things to me when I was still young in ministry. He said, Marcel, you need to learn to eat humble pie. Now, I know you Americans know all about pumpkin pie, but that's not the pie I'm talking about. The pie I'm talking about is, about is called humble pie. And you know what it means to eat humble pie? It is acknowledging that you have made a mistake. It's moving forward and saying, I don't care who I am, if I am the pastor of this church, it is acknowledging that you need to apologize when it's necessary. And most importantly, knowing when to repent before God. I'm not asking this in any form of way to create condemnation, but I wanna ask you, when last did you apologize to your wife or to your son or to your daughter or to your aged father? about the things that you have been covering up with that wax. When last did you eat that humble pie? That, that made you go before God and say, God, you just need to come start working here because I'm done pushing you away. I wanna get to us back to a story that I started off with. So we walked into the Fisher Christ home and the walls are stripped, the paint is peeling, the, the plaster is crumbling, and the ceilings are sagging. And everything that is supposed to put me off from this house just stirs up a passion and a dream inside of me. And as I stand there, I see my family living in this home. And we walk out of there, and Stasha and I said, we will not go look at any other places because we have set it in our hearts. We've determined that we will buy this house. The funny thing is that in the meantime, someone else bought the place. <laughs> but you know what I realized? I don't get faced by those things. I always want God to know that I will put in my everything. If it works out, it's fine. If it doesn't, this is what I realized. Sometimes God takes you on a little journey. He takes you on a wild goose chase. Do you say that? He takes you on a wild goose chase so that just the same way I could walk into that house and see everything that was supposed to put me off, but instead it inspired me and it stirred up dreams and passion in me that I realized the very same way. God walks into the Fanikerk house and he sees, oh, over here the paint is peeling a bit and over here the, the plaster is, is crumbling. Oh, and over here the ceiling is is falling in and he's not frightened by it he doesn't step out and say come on Moses come on Abram let's find the better one he see he walks in there and he, he he explodes with dreams and passions and he sees the end product and he says to Jesus this is why I sent you so that we can turn this into a dream house so the things that when I created you and knit you together in your mother's womb, and when I spoke destiny over you, and when I, stood, uh, when I was dreaming about you, and I wrote stories about you before you were born, that those things can come forth. 
And coming back, Mike, you know how passionate, a lot of you know how passionate I was about that old house. But all God wanted me to do was realize that when I came back from LA, I could realize that it was basically just a, a picture of what was happening in my own life. The LA trip was never about me, but I made it about myself. And I apologize for the times, Mike, when you called out destiny and I struggled to accept it. And I, Philip and Nathan also called it out and I was struggling with it. Because it was, this was never about my struggle, this LA trip. Before that, Noah wasn't sleeping well. He was waking up four to six times the evening. He was fussy. And we were praying. We were praying every night, God, thank you. You'll bring the breakthrough. But who would have thought that, that a visa was denied and that God would use a change of schedule and a change of a time change and that he would use two, hour, two five-hour flights that were stressful and that he would use a whole scenario like this to set something in a little baby boy's life into order. And the first night we got back from LA, um, Noah slept through. And since then, he slept through every night. Because it's, it's really not about us. So this morning, the morning, I want to encourage you, you can stand with me. Father God, this morning, as we stand, we invite you into our house. For, for too long, we've said, Jesus, just stay outside. Just give us time. We'll get this place painted and we'll crack we'll finish all the cracked walls and things and we'll get everything perfect before you come in because we want you to be impressed but today we realize that actually you part of the whole restoration program so today Jesus we open the doors we we fling the doors open and we say Jesus God come in come in and see, see the wax that we've put up to, to hide and conceal the imperfections. Please take it away and just start bringing the change that we cannot do without you. And Lord, this morning we say it's fine. You can see all the dirty, rough spots in our lives. And we're willing to eat humble pie and, and just acknowledge that too many times we've done this without you. So from here, I'm going to take a moment and just be quiet and just allow for you to just connect.